Welcome back to the 10 Blocks podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Coming up on today's show, two of my colleagues, Seth Barron and Steve Malanga, will discuss a new plan by Senator Bernie Sanders that would effectively double America's union membership. As Steve notes in a recent piece for the City Journal website, it's a bold agenda with recommendations to roll back portions of the labor law dating back six decades, including state right-to-work laws, to impose new restraints on employers, and to limit workers' ability to opt out of union membership. We thought it would be an engaging topic for our first post-Labor Day podcast. We've also got some exciting episodes coming up with Chris Rufo discussing the new urban left, economist Ed Glazer delivering his annual James Q. Wilson lecture, and Howard Husock talking about his new book, Who Killed Civil Society, among other exciting themes coming up. Lastly, make sure you're subscribed to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't already, follow us on Twitter, at City Journal, and on Instagram, at City Journal underscore MI. That's it for me. The conversation between Seth Barron and Steve Malanga begins after this. Welcome back to 10 Blocks, the podcast of City Journal. This is your host for today, Seth Barron, associate editor of City Journal. I'm joined by Steve Malanga, senior editor of City Journal and senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. He's here to talk about his latest piece about Bernie Sanders' proposals regarding unions and organized labor. The piece is called Night of Forced Labor. Steve, thanks for joining us. So what is it that Senator Sanders proposed that you found so uh, noteworthy or odd? (laughs) Or all of those things. So first of all, you know, it's important, I think, to remember that Bernie Sanders has kind of pitched himself as the friend of labor. He, in fact, uh, began by touting the fact that um, he's allowing his campaign workers to organize and um, to be organized by a union. They claim... And I don't have anything to dispute this, that this is the first time a presidential campaign in either party has been organized. Um, That didn't necessarily go so well because shortly after uh, uh, the workers organized, they began complaining to him about extra hours that he was requiring them to pay. And they basically said that when you parsed, you know, when you did the numbers, that he was paying them less than $15 an hour, which is, you know, his proposal for a federal minimum wage. Uh, But he got back on track with these proposals, which are quite extensive. Uh, and what, what I find, I think, so um, extraordinary about these proposals is they take uh, 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 labor laws that go back 60 years, and essentially he wants to reverse them. They take positions that have been uh, on labor that have been uh, in place uh, for decades, and that previous Democratic administrations, even when they had a Democratic Congress, Uh, essentially never enacted the kind of things that Sanders is talking about. So he's talking about something that doesn't just do things that Republicans wouldn't do. He's talking about doing things that FDR said he wouldn't do, that JFK said he wouldn't do, and that 
both, uh, I mean, the, but let's say, for instance, the Obama administration during its first two years when they had a Democratic Congress and did a number of things because they had a Democratic Congress, never accomplished. So okay, it's pretty so comprehensive and broad. What sort of things? What are, well, we, I mean, what are f- we talking the about? The first thing, of course, is what's known as card check. And this is something that uh, we, we haven't really had since the Taft-Hartley Act. It hasn't existed. Basically, card check says that all you have to do to organize a workplace is to get more than half of the workers to sign a card to say, we want a union. The process that's in place right now is that you can sign a card to say, authorize, we want a union vote, but you still have to have a secret ballot. And what, you know, what, what uh, uh, proponents of this say is it makes it easier. Why not just, if people are signing a ballot, why not just let them work? You know, that's it, let them organize. What opponents say, however, is that a secret ballot is crucial because uh, because a, um, a union or anybody approaching people and campaigning, you know, and saying, here, please sign this card, uh, 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 subjects people to intimidation. And in fact, there are note, you know, the noteworthy instances where you'll get more than 50 percent of the people signing a card say on a workplace saying, uh, I, I want to authorize, you know, I, I, I say let's authorize a vote. But when they actually have the vote, 70 percent of the people who vote oppose the union. So well, that does it. Why <clears throat> wouldn't people want to be in a union? Excuse me? Why well, first of all, you have to pay dues and the dues can be quite substantial. Uh, what percentage of your income? Might well, it really, really varies depending upon, you know, uh, who you're with. But we, you, you know, it could be as well. If, Frankly, let's talk about you know some public sector union uh, uh, workers in New York pay more than a thousand dollars a year in union dues. That's quite substantial. In fact, uh, I wrote it's been quite a number of years, but I believe it was Gallup that did a poll uh, uh, a number of years ago, which I wrote about, in which they asked people who were members of union households, union members or spouses, they asked them if they thought they were getting their money's worth for their dues. And about 50% of them said they did not believe so. So, And these were people who were already in a union, already part of a union household. So the dues is a very big issue. It's not a small issue. You, you, you know, what, what are we getting extra for our dues? And this is one of the reasons why, and this is something else that Sanders proposes to roll back, we have what's known as right to work. In other words, what, what Taft-Hartley, which was, Taft-Hartley was passed in 1947 by a majority Republican Congress. It was vetoed by President Truman, but then... The Demo- uh, Republicans, in concert with a substantial percentage of uh, d- Democrats, about half of all the Democrats in the United States Senate, voted to override Truman's veto. So this this law the law became law because both Democrats and Republicans voted for it. And essentially, one of the c- crucial components of it is what's known as right to work. It says the states individually have the right to pass laws which say uh, if your if your workplace is organized. Uh, and you, you are a union, uh, uh, and you are a worker in that workplace. You can decline to join the union, and you can't be fired for it. Previous to that, under the Wagner Act, you know you were essentially required, even if you voted against unionization, you were required to join the union. So. Bernie wants to, uh, Senator Sanders wants to reverse that. He wants to essentially uh, eliminate or repeal that section of Taft-Hartley. And um, that would uh, reverse uh, laws, uh, state laws in 28 states. Uh, Right to work has become increasingly common over the years. In the last um, 
I think since 2012, we've had five more states join. So we now have more than a majority of states which have right-to-work laws. Um, also, in polls, uh, it's, it's fairly popular among, uh, among average um, Americans. Um, one poll asked people, um, you know, uh, one poll said essentially, should workers have the right to not join a union if there's a union in their workplace? And 71% of Americans said they agreed with that. And this was in a poll in which about 50% of the people who were polled viewed unions favorably, but they still said you should have the right to opt out. Okay, so uh, the way it works now in New York State is a closed shop state, right? Right. It does not have right to work. So if uh, I were to organize Manhattan Institute right. and get everyone to sign the cards and we voted and we decided to have a union, then even the people who didn't want to be in the union would have to be in the union. Right. Or if they if they opted out, they would have to essentially pay anyway. They'd have to pay a fee, which is called an agency fee. And an agency fee can be whatever the union sets the fee at. The idea is that uh, I don't want to be a part of the union, but I still have to pay for whatever representation and negotiation the union is taking is is uh, uh, is doing on behalf of the workplace, and that fee can be fairly substantial. And this is one of the reasons why the the, the case last year in the public sector called the, the Janus case, essentially the Supreme Court said you cannot in any state, even a, a state like New York State that doesn't have right to work, you cannot charge public sector uh, uh, workers who don't want to be in a union an agency fee. And that's because, this is a very more, much more complicated issue, that's because the Supreme Court ruled that in the public sector, whatever kind of negotiating that a union does okay, is, a kind, is a free speech issue. When you're, when you're a union, for instance, and you're negotiating for better wages, these things affect state budgets and city budgets. And so workers shouldn't be forced to pay that extra money if they don't agree with that particular point of view of the union because it's a, it's a, it's a public uh, uh, government issue. Okay. But, now, we're getting into another, uh, another aspect of uh, Bernie Sanders' uh, proposals that you mentioned, which is the right of federal workers to strike. Now, explain something to me. I, what's the difference between a, okay, I get that the public sector unions, their boss is the government, and private sector workers work for private companies. And you, you, I, you cite this interesting quote from President Franklin Roosevelt, who apparently, you know, I, I mean, I guess he's known very much as like a very left-wing guy, but he apparently thought that public sector unions didn't really make that much sense. So uh, Roosevelt proposed and signed the Wagner Act, which essentially set out collective bargaining as we know it now for the private sector. That act purposely excluded the public sector. And in a letter that he wrote to uh, a federal uh, uh, union trade group, he essentially said the collective bargaining doesn't work in the public sector because essentially it's a monopoly and particularly the right to strike you know would allow government workers to essentially hold the government hostage and he says that's quite different from the relationship in the public sector this is a a, a fairly famous letter now that was at the federal level years later <clears throat> JFK John F Kennedy did give workers the right to organize and to bargain collectively on a limited basis. They never earned the right in particular to strike. 
This is federal workers? Yes, federal workers. Absolutely right. Now, state workers, okay. Municipal workers. Like, mu- uh, state employees. and local public employees, absolutely, are governed by state laws on this issue. And quite a number of states have passed laws which said you, you can have public sector unions. The laws are different in every state. Some states say you have full bargaining power, meaning you can bargain for everything. Other states say you can organize, but it's really as a trade association. You don't have collective bargaining rights for, let's say, wages and and benefits. And one of the justifications for this is that most states have civil service laws, and therefore public sector workers in general, because of civil service laws, have quite a few protections already. You know, be that as it may... Uh, uh, what the federal workers have long looked for is just the kind of complete uh, freedom, if you will, that you have in, let's say, a state like New York State, which is the most heavily uh, unionized uh, states in the public sector, and that includes the right to strike. Bernie Sanders would give them that right. So, um, say, the Department of uh, Health and Human Services... They could uh, walk out. They could have a strike. Well, I would think, uh, uh, or uh, yes. Now, um, I think he's proposed it with some limitations. You know, uh, for instance, what people would be most worried about would be um, Homeland Security going on strike, (laughs) or, you know, that could have serious implications for the airports, for instance, and things like that. Um, But yes, that's essentially the issue. And and, and part of this is this is this debate about, you know, well, well, if you, what good is collective bargaining? if you don't have the right to strike because your employer can just say, sorry, we're not going to give you that. Now, there is mediation uh, at the federal level to try to resolve these kinds of issues, but he would essentially give the federal government workers the right to strike. And do you think that's a good idea? No. <laughs> again, I go, uh, again, you know, what, what Roosevelt essentially said is government is a monopoly. The, the thing about the private sector is your company could have the right to strike, all right? But because it is a competitive environment, even the bargaining position of workers, the unions have to take into account the competitive environment that they're facing because essentially asking for too much or going too far can destroy a company. And that that is a kind of mediating influence, right? At the same time, the employer has to be aware in a competitive environment that if I don't pay my workers enough, you know, uh, I'm going to lose them. So... So that's a very different environment than government. And what Roosevelt w- worried about and what, you know, you see governors worry about in some places because there are a lot of places where, where fed, uh, state workers, for instance, or local workers or certain workers cannot strike. Uh, teachers cannot strike in, in, in a, a bunch of places. Uh, public safety workers c- don't have the right to strike. Other places, they do have the right to strike. Um, so even in a very, very labor-friendly pl- uh, you know, environment like New York State, there are restrictions on that. Now, in New York, uh, some people have said that the public sector unions, which you know have a fair amount of power, that there's a conflict of interest because they give so much money to political campaigns that they essentially elect their own bosses, um, in, you know, that they get to choose who gets, you know, to, to run for office and they can give. So that do you, do you see that, that that's maybe a problem? Or? Well, first of all, it's not that some people say. A very prominent labor leader in New York State in the 1960s said to his to his, uh, you know, fellow, uh, we have the ability to elect our own bosses. So that was a pronouncement on his part. 
uh, and he he articulated that at a as a strategy. So that has been their strategy articulated by them since the '60s. That is essentially what they are. You know, you know wh where their power lies. Uh, so I'm reminded of the uh, <laughs> the joke in the Woody Allen movie Sleeper. Yeah, that takes place hundreds of Albert years in the future. <laughs> And someone says, we don't know what happened, but a man named Albert Schenker got hold of an atom bomb. Yes. Albert Schenker was, among other things, you know, famously infamous for saying, you know, uh, when, uh, you know, when children, you know, join my union, I'll represent their interest. When school children, you know, that was uh -huh. it. So, <laughs> yeah, so you can imagine yes. he was, yes, he was the teacher's <laughs> union. Uh, so you can imagine why even Woody Allen thought that he was worth it, you know, taking a shot at. You know? Now, <laughs> another aspect of Bernie Sanders' plans that you talk about in your piece has to do with uh, pension plans. Now, we talk a lot about uh, public sector pension plans and how they're underfunded, but this seems to be Bernie Sanders wants to do something about private pension plans. A very specific type of private pension plan called a multi-employer plan. Basically, what Congress did was it created the ability for unions to essentially create pension funds for workers like, let's say, in construction, who don't work for a single employer, but, but work through the union for different employers. So if you're a construction worker, you might be working on an office tower somewhere in midtown Manhattan, right, one year, and the next year you're working on another office tower or a residential tower somewhere else. In those cases, these multi-employer plans the, uh, the unions essentially took contributions based on what the benefits they negotiated with the um, with the uh, uh, owners and the construction companies. They take those contributions and they put them in these pension plans. Well, about a third of these pension plans, these multi-employer plans, are seriously, seriously underfunded, in danger of going insolvent. So back about uh, in 2014, Congress actually passed a law, which was necessary to pass a law to do this, to say these pension plans now have the ability to reduce the benefits that they are paying to retirees so that they remain solvent. Otherwise, they're going to go, go bust. Bernie didn't like that idea. Instead, he essentially wants to bail out these unions. Uh, and, and so what he proposes is a series of tax increases. Uh, the, some of them are very, very, they're essentially aimed at rich people. Uh, the, some of them are very, very you know, kind of like quirky, like in the art market where people trade art, you know, like I, I'll trade you and buy Picasso for, you know, for your little Rembrandt there. You know, he, he wants to tax transactions like that, which are apparently not taxed now. He wants to do other things. He wants to tax money put in a 401k above a certain level. He wants, in other words, once you reach a certain level in your 401k, no matter who you are, you got enough money. And, and therefore, if you put anything more in it, uh, I'll tax it. And what that do does is it makes, obviously, more money uh, available for taxation. So there's a bunch of little things he wants to do, but essentially he wants to then take all this money and use it to bail out these pension plans. He's not talking about any kind of reforms. He's basically just talking about, you know, giving them money. And, you know, what, what the one thing this doesn't get at is, you know, why did these systems become underfunded in the first place? There are a whole bunch of reasons. Some of them have to do with just um, the way the industries themselves have gone through very volatile economic periods, but some of it has to do with the fact that this money hasn't necessarily been managed well, that when some of these funds have had surpluses during the good times, they've increased benefits, whereas a lot of pension trustees will tell you in certain, in, in some laws, like the, like the ERISA law, says, you know, you, you, you need to, you know, you need to 
essentially harbor some of those surpluses. And so, you know, so th there are a whole bunch of issues with, re with respect to how that we wound up in this particular situation. But what Sanders is talking about is essentially bailing out these these plans. And I'm not sure that he that he says anything. There's nothing that goes along with that, which says, mm -hmm. you know, now we'll stop this from ever happening again. It's hard to come up with a um you know, like a reasonable rationale for doing that. I mean, usually if you're going to bail someone out, well, okay, either it's too big to fail or we're bailing right. it out because we made right. a mistake. But if it's just a question that the Teamsters Union made terrible investments in such right. and such or stole the money, you know, Well, I mean, I saw, I mean, his rationale is these people were kind of victimized by the economy and maybe by their their, their trustees, but, oh. but, you know, but therefore they're still victims. Okay. You know, the problem, part of the problem is when, when we set up in the 60s and 70s, we set up a series of laws that governed the uh, pen, private pet sector pensions in America. One of the things that Congress did was it, it essentially... It put in place a tax on uh, that that uh, private pensions have to pay so that they, there would be a rescue fund, okay? Oh. But the rescue fund is not big enough to rescue these multi-employer plans. So now he's basically looking for a way of uh, uh, enhancing this rescue fund with a tax just on people. Okay. Um, well, we just celebrated uh, Labor Day here in America. Uh, and, you know, I, I guess we're really the only country that doesn't have Labor Day on May 1st. Right. We have our, <laughs> our own invented sort of Labor Day. Yeah. Now, unions made improvements in the lives of working people. You know, I think it can be fair to say it's, you know, the, I guess there could be an argument about that. But so do you think um, what's the state of organized labor? What's the future for organized labor? Should more people be in unions? Well, again, you know, to use the uh, to the the FDR measure, you know, it's a competitive marketplace out there, and essentially Sanders argues that um, people are not joining unions because it's too hard to unionize these days. That's why he wants to make all these changes. The fact of the matter, however, is that. Many of these laws have been in place for decades, and they were in place back when we had much higher levels of private sector unionization. And private sector unionization has been declining for years for a lot of reasons, having to do with the way the economy has changed, with the kind of jobs that have been created, and by the fact that many of the people working in the kinds of industries that have been growing haven't voted for unionization. The same laws that allow people to organize and that allowed people to organize in the 40s and the 50s uh, many of those laws are still in place, but 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 there's just not necessarily that interest. And if you think of the kind of um, uh, industries that are ascendant de these days, they don't really show a lot of interest in unionization. Well, we'd uh, love to hear your comments about today's episode on Twitter at City Journal, hashtag 10blocks. If you like our show and want to hear more of it, please leave ratings and reviews on iTunes. This is your host, Seth Barron. Steve Malanga, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.